I am so honored to have Miss Sanduni joining me today on the OG Rose Anchor Spotify podcast. I'm very <laughs> happy to be here speaking with you, Michelle. Thank you. So today we're going to be talking about being. Yes. And we want to discuss a little bit about what grounds or what situates our being and makes us able to live out that being in a manner that is most in line with that being, I suppose, right? Or Yes, or we could also say that it is about being aware of our being or rather what helps you be aware of your being, being and how you define that awareness or do you acknowledge it? Those are something that we could probably look at. Yeah. Why is awareness so powerful like that? And, and do you think that there can be like over-awareness? I mean, do you think that there... I think the, the risk in not discussing this is that we kind of assume that we know what we mean when we say awareness, being aware of one's being. Because somebody could be thinking about themselves in a social setting, for example, okay? And they could suddenly be like, oh no, like maybe worry immediately is not awareness. Maybe we could just bracket that out. What do you think? Because I'm thinking about somebody kind of overanalyzing every single thing they said or did at, at like, say, some social gathering. Mm-hmm. Would that be somebody being aware of themselves or is that like over-awareness? I think it's interesting that you say over-awareness. It's almost ironic that we fixate so much on the notion of being instead of truly being. Hmm. And that does borderline with being overly aware of the notion, hmm. whereas the literal sense of being would be purely existing and not questioning that existence. Hmm. So do we really ever truly let someone be or hmm. something be? Because everything that we sort of entertain or discuss, there is more to it than it's just literal existence. Because that is what the definition of being is. It, it is a present notion, but it is also a form of existence. Mm-hmm or having existed, or continuously existing. Now then, when we discuss over-awareness, it's ironic, it really is. Because can't we just be aware that we are here, we're in the now, and that is all it is? Yeah, no, I I think that's good. I think it makes me wonder if there's something about being aware that almost um, is like, we've discussed this a bit before, but this, this idea that almost like it's, it's being aware is almost to undo, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think in a sense, if somebody is um, worried about and, and analyzing what they've done to a degree that might be helpful, I suppose perhaps this is some manner to practice awareness or something but it it seems like awareness is to have the most clear lens of oneself or something like that whereas worry is a type of uh obscuring obscuring of that lens in a sense or i don't know a coloration it's a tint right 
like just like you could have rose-colored glasses you could also have it in the in the opposite right of some seeing every seeing everything you do as bad or whatever right so in that yes. sense it's almost like what gives us the clearest lens to by which we have the awareness of our being i suppose that is true i think there is a conscious effort that we make in understanding the notion of being aware of oneself but with that being if there is a lack of acknowledgement or a conscious effort to acknowledge the being then the awareness is just purely irrelevant and it is overrated because the notion exists the the notion of being and that will be there as it does exist but if you don't see oneself in a conscious space or consciously evaluate one's existence like the inner work that needs to be done in acknowledging self and acknowledging being or rather coming into awareness of who he or she is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it defeats the purpose of being because then it's only being in the literal sense not in the metaphysical or the philosophical sense where you're just existing but not truly living mm. because you don't live in the present mm. in the present and the whole word play with being a human being mm. if you live with a lack of awareness of being you're just a human which we don't choose we don't have a say in the matter you know you're either born as an animal or a human or whatever right and then the whole word play with human being with the lack of un- lack of awareness of being you're just a human without the being element because mm. you know the other the other is almost a conscious choice mm. to be aware of your being but to truly exist is is being human you know you live you die and till you live as long as you live you're alive and mm. that means you exist mm. quite literally mm. but being means being self-aware being conscious understanding reflecting thinking creating mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all of those things only exist or rather in my perception exist if you acknowledge your being and the certain qualities that define your existence whereas being human is not a choice it is a choice it's not a choice actually it's it's a fact right just to be human just to be human yeah. but truly being being human yeah is a being choice being a human being <laughs> yeah is a choice is a choice yeah. we make and it's a conscious choice that we make which is also interesting because subconsciously sometimes we choose not to be <laughs> we just choose to be human even in the whole phrase of saying but oh he or she is just human that is the problem <laughs> with humans we tend to just fixate on our physical existence that are mental social existence is hardly ever acknowledged hmm. that's good sandy i like that i like the word play there as well and i it makes me think though that therefore awareness even itself is and being conscious and this choice is kind of like um like it's a it's a double-edged sword or to say it's a sword mm-hmm. like it can it's very cutting it can cut one way or the other or the other like i'm saying with the idea of there's it's it's um 
it's a fine line, right? Like, yes. And I think to talk about it like it's a fine line makes it feel like there's some strange effort to be put into it. But really, it's it's not... It's like this... I guess what I mean to say is it makes me think of, of the fact that you can either overthink, right, or not think. And there's sort of a problem on both on both of those sides of the spectrum, right? Yes. But to be so obsessive over what is the balance of those two things yes. is another risk in itself. At the same time, I also do agree that to have this sort of choice and awareness of this consciousness of the the human being, right? That mm-hmm. it is actually a human in its being. And I, I want to say also it's becoming because there's this element of where we are. You know, it's like we are what we are, but somehow that's the undoing. So it's kind of like becoming is suddenly getting back to just what you are, which is what you are as a human. That is being in the verb sense, right? So... There's a consciousness consciousness of that. Yes. And that's important. But then you can become self-conscious, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's the risk of that, too. And so so it's almost this double-edged sword, but it's, it's actually very, you know, swords are very helpful, though, right? Like, swords can, you know, I mean, it's funny. We only think about them as, like, uh, a weapon these days. But yes. it would have been, like, you know, your machete or something would have been helping you to cut down trees or get down get fruit or cut things you know there's a myriad of uses for the for such a thing you know it's 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 funny you mentioned that so in sri lanka yeah english language is described as a sword really in the native in sinhalese Sinhalese, the 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 native language of sri lankans Hmm. and that's because it is known to be more expressive than sinhalese so they believe that you have this way of piercing through the mind hmm. and, and, you know, the human mind and the soul by communicating elaborately. Yes. So and they associate elaborate speech elaborate with English? With English. Wow. Yes. It's fascinating. Yes. So, and it's described as the sword. Wow. That's yeah. really interesting. And it's, it's interesting that you said the double-edged sword because Immanuel Kant argues that... With the point I made earlier about human beings, yes, you need to have human experiences to be, to become, to form the being. <laughs> so one would argue that, yes, sometimes just being human is enough to create a being because we are influenced by our environment, the way we grow, who we grew up with, who we interact with, and and the friends and the company we keep. And those are human experiences that form our being. Hmm, absolutely. Yes. But do are all our human interactions, experiences, decisions conscious? Oh no. Yeah. No, this it's very it's 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 And where does it say that only conscious decisions, experiences create the being? Versus, because, yes. <laughs> yes. Right, right. Well, what about the unconscious? And what about, yeah. like, what about the things that we aren't as, you know, yeah, like consciously deciding or whatever? You know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of just, the, you know, the things that are serendipitous or synchronistic or just, you know, providential, whatever word you want to use for it. Mm-hmm. It made me think, too, about children, you know? Like, I wonder, um, children seem to be this, to be such a great example of, like, being able to, 
um, just be in the state of being. Like they're not hyper aware of themselves. And yet sometimes they be, seem to be the most aware of themselves than anyone, right? Like then, then compared to like adults and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And they've got an awareness that's not just their self, but like the world around them. It makes me think of this idea that there's like, they have a self that's, that's kind of more, I don't want to say an expanded self, Sandy, but it, it does feel that way. Where it's not limited to this sort of, I'm, you know, it's not this formed, you know, they know they, their name and they're very excited. Like my name's this, you know, they, they, but there's this kind of sense that they are more, their self is more expanded to their perceptions and the world they're exploring and the things that they're doing. But for example, like they can get very suddenly um, able, right, to take some sort of like Lego scape and, and almost be as if they are in it. They, they, there's this kind of, and I think I wonder if this sort of state of childlikeness, and maybe it's maybe it's too well. I'm not going to put qualifiers on it. Is perhaps what we could want in a, in this type of awareness, where it's not a self consciousness, but it's a self that is is like has this this consciousness of itself and its environment, or something like that. Like in like in a literal kind of witnessing and engagement versus like analyzing and judgment. Because I think that's what awareness, like in the bad sense, can become. What do you think? Yes, that is true. Because children have the privilege of being aware and explorative in their own sense. Because they're children and they're never limited and they're forgiven for the ways they explore their existence or their surroundings or their experiences. Mm. They have the, but they, they they are immediately forgiven because their children are still shaping, you know, cognitive thinking and just you know their understanding of the world we live in, mm-hmm. whereas adults are deprived of it, and I feel like that mm-hmm. creates a barrier. Ooh. Children, children don't make a conscious effort. They, to what? To to their surroundings, they yeah, exist yeah. and they react. It's not, they don't think before doing it. They just go for it. They seek <laughs> it because it's the unknown for them. It could be a first-time experience or it could be a deprived experience. But there is not much rational thinking in their thought. Purely because they're children and still trying to form a sense of thought. Yeah. But the fact that they're seen as children allows them to explore in ways that an adult would not be permitted to do so. Yeah. And that limits... The conscious effort of being for a hu- for a grown human being. I, I yeah, think I with, with, with your analogy, it's what I'm trying to say is that as a child, it truly is a given that they're allowed to at least vocalize or pursue a thought that they truly want to in mm-hmm. its most primary form. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm which could seem conscious, but it could also be an, an unconscious effort. It just could be an impulsive reaction, like reaction or an impulsive need or a yearning. Whereas for an adult, rationality, consciousness is highly demanded of an adult existence. Mm. Therefore, for a human being, for an adult human being, being comes at a cost. Whereas for a child... Mm they're seen to be beings from the very beginning, which is ironic in a way, mm-hmm. because 
you know, they're just starting out life and forming all these experiences and ideas and, you know, ways to act and speak and just exist. Yet, we give them the chance to fully exist and be. And in that, there is also a sense of being because they are truly who they are at that level. Whereas with adults, that is not the case. Hmm. That isn't always the case because experiences or rather your circumstances can sometimes limit you from truly being who you think you are or it could be purely in your head too Mm -hmm. that is also a possibility Mm -hmm. because sometimes the many limitations that we see are are like truly in our head and not actual limitations that exist around us which also affects our being no that's good that's good yeah it makes me no, that was great, Sandy. I, I, that makes me think of how there seems to be this element of almost grace, I want to say. There seems to be like some element of grace that actually is, is important and necessary for humans to, try, to move from just being human to human beings. Mm-hmm. Humans who are being. Mm-hmm. And this idea of um, the grace to be able to, in a sense, like just have curiosity still. Because I do, I do think, I do think that something there's something about being curious that you know. See, it's interesting when a child's curious, it's just curiosity. But when when an adult is curious, they're almost mad, like crazy, like crazy, <laughs> yeah, or like so driven, or just extremely or like, or like, driven, yeah, or bothersome. It's bothersome that yes. pe- that somebody could be curious, or it's problematic. Yes, you know, and that's the thing. I think there seems to be something about curiosity that you know, has, I think curiosity is what can make awareness be in the positive sense, like in the sense that you would want to be able to have this awareness of being that is therefore, um, like therefore affords the, um, the sense of being right from which we can derive peace. Like we, cause we are, we were kind of inspired by something we watched to have this discussion in the first place and wasn't there that that idea that like that's when we can derive our peace from our being from our being yeah and so we're kind of just just wanting to discuss like what does that really mean what's being some would argue that humans spend all their life trying to make peace with their being Mm, yeah me versus me me versus me me versus the idea of me that society has me versus the expectations I have for myself. Yeah. Or even, I mean, even our own desires are still part of me in a sense, right? Me versus yes. my desires. The unrequited. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. indeed. So I think, I think that's why, <laughs> you know, if we can redeem curiosity for the adult, you know, obviously, like, it's, you're right that there are, there, there are more exceptions we make for children, but also children have, like, their own natural sense of, what things they do or wouldn't do in just being children and being innocent and being young, you know? Like, unless they, you know, are unfortunately exposed to something, they wouldn't necessarily just think to to do certain things, you know what I mean? And so it's like, yes, they are very explore, exploratory and curious and whatnot, but they also have some... It's it's, it's interesting. I, I guess I'm thinking it about really this for the is. first time. But yeah, it's, it's like they have their own sort of... Um, focus you know their focus is less on kind of this I don't know sense of having to kind of like 
explain themselves. They just kind of they 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 are and they have their reactions, like you're saying. They have their curiosities. They have their and they're very interest. much in the present. They are. They are. Even though the present is kind of funny, right? We've talked about that before. Yes. Like it's always kind of escaping us, but it's always moving into the next. When a child's present is discussed, it's really profoundly freeing and liberating to yeah. see. Yeah. Because a child could be craving or wanting <laughs> a pastry that's on the table, and the moment there is something better on the table, they'll easily divert their attention to that and just no longer acknowledge what they initially wanted. But with humans, that's not the case. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You know, children actually in that way though, Sandy, make me think that they kind of remind us, they kind of can help. Like, yeah, it can be seen as like, oh, they're just like so, so easily like, you know, you can so easily divert their attention, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, sometimes wouldn't we do well as adults to be able to divert our attention better? Yes. Like, like we should learn from that. Like that's a good thing in some ways. Yeah, because the, they're truly present in the moment yeah. and they go for the next alternative. Yeah, they're just like, they're not dwelling on the fact that like, you know, they're not, they're just sort of like ready to, they're, they're ready to relinquish more than we are as adults, I think, you yes. know, because I think they are in such a fluid stage and, and we can learn from that. Yes, adults. Can, adults do lack fluidity and 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 a, and, a, and a cognizance of the of the fleeting, the fleeting. It's right. all. It's 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 interesting how children are stubborn, in a very instant sense, and adults just prolong their misery by <laughs> the- fixating. They're stubborn on their stubbornness. They're stubborn in a quiet, long, we, like yes. long-term stubbornness. We make a conscious effort to think of all the negative outcomes of a situation. We make a conscious effort to put ourselves down or be insecure or to question our existence. Whereas with children, they think X is the best option, and as soon as you present Y in that very instant. They move on to why when they refu- when you know someone refuses X. But with us as adults, at least personally, even if Y presents itself in a situation, in a human, in a prospect, you no longer acknowledge or give Y the importance it, it deserves purely because you think X is what's important. But that isn't always true. Just because it's important to you does not make it important for you or your life. Hmm. And this is a problem with adult beings. <laughs> we, we truly make a conscious effort to be miserable. I know, Thanks, that is, I know that is a rather profound con- and a controversial statement to make, but it is true. Do we ever really make a conscious effort or go <laughs> out of our way to seek to seek something that is genuinely right for us or good for us? Yes, we could discuss what is right and what is good for us, and that's a whole different conversation. But in adult choices, more or less we tend to incline towards challenges not because all those challenges are good for us 
but because they're purely challenges and we can't sometimes let things be for what they are rather we'd like them to be for what we think they should be Hmm. and that defeats the purpose of truly being and therefore we can't derive our peace from our being because we constantly want to complicate our being Hmm. yeah yeah no that's true that's very good it made me think though children can yeah they, they have like a it's funny it's almost like you're right. I think that was a good comparison. Like this instantaneous stubbornness versus this like quiet long-term. It's funny. I was thinking about this with children the other day. It's almost like, you know, thank God that they are so vocal as they are because we just, you know, a lot of times that's just thought of as like, that's bad. That's wrong. They're being naughty. And you know, maybe they are, but there's also a part of it where it's like, well, we, we as human, as adults, you know, a lot of that times that just gets suppressed to the point that we learn to just be quiet and prolong that type of um, complaint, complaining or whatever it is, it's almost like we just sort of stuff it inside and choose to like use that as our anchoring versus like our own being, which is actually underneath that. Does that make sense? And I think that what good children are very good about is actually expressing and letting it out. And then, you know, it might not be something they can have. You know, maybe it's something that they can't have, you know. Um, Maybe it's the favorite butterfly dress that just got put in the wash, you know? And it's like, well, it's not ready now. <laughs> you mm-hmm. have to wait till it's out of the wash again. And mm-hmm. I know that's hard, right? And then they're crying and they're upset. I want the dress. I want the dress. It's, it's, but I think, I guess what I mean to say is that it's like they they are able to express, but then also move. It's like they can they, they are able to be in that, that fluid stage. And yes, maybe one could say, well, that's just because like their memory is not developed enough. But at the same time they have this it's almost like yeah i'm really sad about the dress but like <gasps> that tiger and look my brother's playing with a tiger and i can do like hide and seek we can play hide and seek with the tiger and like mm-hmm. that becomes very fun and vivid whereas i feel like as us adults we forget like how fun and vivid playing with the tiger could be in the mm-hmm. metaphor in the metaphoric sense you know yes. we we just are like well no like i'm just, and it's funny though children sorry one more thing they're they can be stubborn on stuff that actually will and can be resolved. Like the dress will come out of the, the, the wash and the dryer and then they can wear it again, even if it's a couple hours later. I feel like we as adults are stubborn. And maybe it's just, it's just because you're in a different, you know, we're talking about totally different circumstance, other human, you know, other human beings, desires for things that are not just within our control, right? Like how long does it take to wash a dress? But, you know, it's almost like we get stubborn about stuff that literally like we cannot control, you know, and yet we still, and yet we don't have like the intelligence to realize like, then you shouldn't even be, why, like, why are you fixating on that? You know, does that make sense? Yes. And I also think now that we're speaking of children, yes. the analogy <laughs> just keeps broadening itself and creating these different scenarios that can be used to reiterate the points or rather the points we're trying to understand. It's like with children, some could argue that in terms of trying to make sure they're polite, we almost sugarcoat the truth. Hmm. When they voice their discontent or their lack of desire towards a meal or experience, that is a genuine response. That is them truly being honest. Being honest (laughs) and truly being and yeah whereas it's 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 almost ironic that we try and raise children to be polite and 
sort of turn down situations in a polite manner or rather a sugar-coated way of speaking and later on in life you have to confront these very difficult conversations that you would possibly not encourage as children I mean, of different situations and these mm. difficult conversations eventually define your being or help you understand your being or the lack of being as an identity, as an adult, where mm. you're just like, oh, you know, I've just been a human all my life. Right. I've had these experiences, but I don't seem to have an identity or a character or a persona or or moral mm. values. And it's it's like when you suppress thought emotion ideas yeah in its pure sense it almost tarnishes the development of your being hmm. because you're constantly influenced by your living conditions your societal conditions your friendships your relationships your family and that somehow leads to a life that's not peaceful because you don't know yourself to make peace with yourself mm. and that will keep you in a state of constant restlessness yeah. Yeah. and insecurities and mm. just this identity crisis that you're constantly in and I say identity because mm. being frankly to me is what defines me what I truly believe I am and that is not credentials that's not ideologies that is not mm. ethnicity race gender none of those conventional matters that tick the boxes or are found on paper mm. being slash identity is truly knowing your own mind and truly knowing who you are as an individual and how mm all your life experiences lived simultaneously as a child and going on to becoming an adult has shaped your being like do you understand what events or rather mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. certain life events shaped your existence that you are now yeah. all of the past events that created the now do you live in sync with the past and the future while living in the now mm. like you know what certain things developed certain ideas of being or what defines your being or what you think was a turning point in your life because like i said earlier in the conversation that we have to have human experiences to finally become the being part of human being and that's what Kant argues as well which i very much agree with that it is a series of events throughout our life that eventually define our being now then we can change that but it's a conscious effort and if you don't live in awareness you'll never reach the being part you'll just be human you will live you will excel you will prevail you will you know go on to doing all sorts of things but will you find your being and with without that being there is no peace and that is why mm -hmm. a lot of humans tend to be unhappy with all the success in the world yeah. Because they don't know who they are or what they are or why they are the way they are. Yeah. You know, you don't really have that conversation with yourself and that inner like inner reflection really leads to the definition or rather the creation of the being and then the acknowledgement that follows with it. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. that was great, Sandy. Yeah. 
I have one like one last question here. Then then perhaps perhaps we'll wrap it up. Yes. Um. Though I've loved the conversation. You know, we can. Well, we do talk for hours. Yes. Lord knows that. <laughs> but we can't keep our listeners <laughs> listening for hours, and you know. Yes. We hope this will be, contribute to your being, your listeners. being, or at least to the peace of your being. <laughs> We've got a piece of our minds. Hopefully yes. they'll get peace yes. out of that. Yes, indeed. When you said about children, I thought that was a really interesting point. Do you, do you think then that there's something about this idea of expressing that that is formative to being? Like, do we is, curb, is curbing expression ever uh, ideal? Or, or, or like, is it just a more, more a matter of how we direct that expression? Like, what, what do you think on that? That's a very good question. Yes, indeed. I think it's how you direct that expression because children can be like parrots. They will repeat whatever the adults around them would say. Yeah. So some would argue it's very much important to direct the speech or the expression that comes out of a child. But when... I don't know why I'm developing this analogy into something that's very negative. But when you discuss childhood trauma... Mm you don't discuss it at a very young age. You usually discuss it with adults. That's because a series of events like the suppression of sort of expression at a young age stays with you. Those qualities, your insecurities, your thoughts, your way of life, your tradition develops at a very young age Mm. because you absorb what you see. Mm. You understand what you live with and who you live with yeah. and the way people around you live. It's, it's, it's fascinating how sometimes children play the way their mom acts. Yeah. Like the way their mom nurses them. They nurse their toys. Yeah. Or their baby yeah. dolls. They go on to doing that. Yeah. Um, the way the father gardens, they go on to gardening the way they, that, that way with their toys or playing those games. So it's almost like it's really important to raise your children in a way, and I'm not saying this is the right way to do it. I'm not giving any parenting advice sure, here, sure. but it's rather just my notion in this philosophical sense that when raising children, we have to be very aware of where we draw the line of direction and suppression, or rather the censorship that we have in a household, mm. because that creates the limitations for freedom of thought freedom of expression yeah and it also defines what they think of certain situations of life of the world and the general perception because that's where it all starts it, oh yeah oh, absolutely i think that's i think that's really good and, and I, yeah to, to to truly be you need to be able to fr- be free in your mind, yeah. to express your mind freely and to acknowledge that these thoughts are stimulated or provoked in shaping my identity over the years. It could be one profound moment too, but more or less, being, becoming or truly being is a constant endeavor. We don't really fully become. Yeah. We don't. It's no. it's a it's an ongoing yes. process. Yeah. But as a child, is it's when you actually get the foundation. That's where it begins, and those are the roots. Yeah. And roots are very important for the plant to grow up to becoming this sort of I don't know full, heavy, 
full of life. That's yeah. how it will be. Yeah. So I feel like with parenting, you've just got to be very considered, considerate about the roots and how you plant or like nurture it into becoming this fully grown tree of tree that's full of thought and life and fruit. Mm-hmm. And that's only when you can actually fully relish in your being. Yeah. I like that. That was very well said, Sandy. Um, oh, I still have lots of questions. To be continued. To be, to, to be continued. Yes. Thank you, listeners. Thank you very much for having me. I truly enjoyed this. Oh, it was lovely, it Sandy. It has helped my being. It has helped my being as well, my dear. Wonderful. I hope it does <laughs> so for our listeners too. This has been the first edition of Sand and Shell.